Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Our sermon is from verses 3 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. This is God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thus far the word of the Lord our God. Let's pray together. O Father in heaven, we have read about the suffering Lord. O Lord, insulted, hated, mocked, cursed, pierced, put to death. O Father in heaven, Give us eyes to behold him in his glorious work. O Lord, help us to see the gifts of his resurrection. The good news that Christ is risen from the dead. And so also shall we be. O Father in heaven, cause us to bow before his throne. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Grieving, they took our Lord down from the cross. And quickly they wrapped his body in burial cloths. And they rushed to place him in the rock-cut tomb because the Sabbath was coming. And it wasn't a proper thing that an executed man would remain hanging that the public might see. The Sabbath came, the Jews and the people of Israel worshipped, the Sabbath passed, and the hearts of the disciples of Jesus Christ were heavy, and early on the next morning of the first day of the week, that is why we call it the Lord's Day, these beloved women went to the tomb with heavy hearts burdened with spices to care 
for what they presumed would be the decaying body of the Lord laying in the tomb. As they drew near, their minds went to where he was, to the stone tomb with the great stone rolled before the door, and they said to themselves, how are we going to move it? But as soon as the thought had entered into their mind, they arrived at the tomb, and behold, the stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty, except for the cloths, neatly folded and laid where his body had lay. And the angel of the Lord said clearly to them, He is risen. He is not here. See where they laid him. The women ran. They told the disciples. And Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, they ran to the tomb. Filled with excitement. Possibly filled with fear. And what did they find? But the messenger of the Lord who told them once more, He is not here. He has risen. What good news. What a gospel. The Lord has risen. He has risen indeed. But friends, why is it good news? Is it just good news because the one whom we love is no longer dead? You see, any heart that has ever been gripped with grief simply wants to be reunited with the loved one lost. I want to tell you that that's not the only reason that the resurrection is good news. The resurrection is good news also because of the gifts that it has secured and gives to the children of God. The first of these gifts, Peter expresses to us in our chapter this morning, in verse 3, that we receive a new life. A new life. And in verses 4 and 5, that we receive a second gift, an imperishable inheritance. An imperishable inheritance. And then in verses 6 through 9, an unshakable joy. An unshakable joy joy. I don't know if you noticed, but as we read all of the scriptures, and we'll read some more as we've gone through this service of lessons and hymns, there's not been very much explanation, if any, has there? If any explanation there has been, it has been to relate the occasions of the suffering and the death of Jesus to the scriptures and the prophecies, but there hasn't been exposition There hasn't been an attempt to tell you why these things matter to the Christian. And here, as Peter writes to the churches in Asia Minor, look at the churches that he writes to the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He is writing to them about the wonders of the gifts of the glorious resurrection of Jesus. But in verse 3, as he begins to tell them these things and express the wonders of the resurrection, he does it in a unique way, and I think it's quite wonderful. Verse 3, Peter begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He 
begins with praise. This is a doxology. He glorifies God. His heart swells and then rises to heaven. It's as if he's singing. Look at it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a way to gather the attention of these churches who will receive this letter. What I have to tell you is wonderful. And it's worth praising the God of heaven over. And again, the first gift of the resurrection of Jesus for all who believe in him is new life. It's new life. And we have that. How? But through his resurrection from the dead. The grave couldn't hold him. Death had no power over him. He is the author of all life, and though he laid down his life, no one took it. He also took it up again. And so let us look, just for a moment, at what Peter tells us about the new life, the gift of the resurrection of Jesus that the Father gives to any who will believe. The first thing that he tells us in this verse is that the gift of this new life or this new birth is that it is according to the mercy of God. It is according to the mercy of God. God is the author of our salvation. He is the one who has thought of it, who has decreed it, who has made it to be so for us. But friends, it is not according to anything in us. It's according to the heart of the Lord. According to his mercy. His mercy. A free and a good gift the Father gives to us. A free and a good gift is the new birth. It has nothing to do with us. Nothing. It has nothing to do with who you are, what you've done, what you've not done. Or even for that matter, the things that you have done against the Lord or the things that you've done for the Lord or your faithfulness and services. It's nothing to do with the family into which you were born. It's according to his mercy. According to the heart and the pleasure of God. Do you feel any continuity in this verse of scripture? Maybe to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9. Maybe to that famous verse of scripture, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world... Our salvation begins in the heart of God. It begins in his mercy and his extended love to sinful people like you and like me. But just so that we have this clear, our salvation has begun not for living people, but for people who need to be born again. People who are dead in sin and who need the mercy, who need the resurrection of the soul and the coming resurrection of the body. It's according to the mercy of God. The second thing he tells us is not only that it's according to his great mercy, 
but that he, that is God the Father, has caused us to be born again. He caused us to be born again. It's not only in his mercy, but in his actions. What are the actions of God to save and to give to us a new birth? He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How did God cause us to have access to new life even though we were a people because of our sin, spiritually dead? He took his eternal son and wrapped him in flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit and placed him in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He made him to be born under the law according to the law. To live as one of us in the fullness of our humanity. To live under every curse and every humiliation and every struggle and every temptation. And yet to be righteous, a man without sin. And then he took him and hung him on the cross. The guiltless who hung for the guilty. The one pure and white for those who are stained. The only man who never deserved an ounce of the wrath of God was crushed under the wrath of God to death so that we who deserve every punishment might live. The third thing that Peter tells us regarding the new birth is that it is unto something. That we're born again for a reason. We're born again to a living hope. Now, what does that mean? Is that a phrase you just skip past? No, of course not. It can't be a phrase that you skip past. What does he mean, a living hope? Well, it means that there is assurance to the one who has been born again of Christ. If Christ is raised from the dead, there is assurance for any who believe in him. If it's according to the mercy of God and caused by his power and his grace, if our new birth has nothing to do with us but everything to do with him, then day by day as Christ lives, we have an assurance and a hope that we will forever live. That at no point in our life will we fall from his grace and his mercy and find ourselves as a people too horrid, too ugly, too horrible in our sins to be loved by the living God. A living Christ is a Christ in whom we can put our hope because he lives, we have assurance that we will live also. But again, how is this accomplished? And this is the fourth thing that Peter says regarding the new birth. It is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You ever thought, how is it that a righteous man like him could die? If death is the punishment for sin, how can a man who has never sinned bear up that punishment? It's because it was your punishment and my punishment. It's the punishment that is due to every man, woman, or child who has ever sinned who would put their faith in him. He died under the weight of our guilt. He died our death. It was in his death that our death was put to death. And in the same manner, as he was raised from the dead, it is in his resurrection that we can simply know 
that all of the justice of God has been satisfied for us. God doesn't have it out for us. He's no longer angry with us. There is no more punishment. There is no more death due to us regarding sin because he died. His blood was poured out. And yet he lives again. We have a hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In verses 4 and 5, we have the account of the second gift that Peter understands from the resurrection of the Lord. The imperishable inheritance. So look at verses 4 and 5 with me. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, this is a wonderful story, isn't it? Because it means that in Christ's resurrection, it's more than that we're just saved from death and from the wrath of God. It's even more than we just have hope, but rather that in Christ we become what? Well, we become adopted children. We become a people who enjoy the wonder of the security of being called a son or a daughter. You see, that's the language that's employed here. Who receives an inheritance but a child of a father? Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. Children of God. A people that occupy the heart, the mind, and the love of the Father. That's how we're being called. But the inheritance that we receive in Jesus, well, it's characterized. It's it's characterized as imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Why is this so important? Well, it's because the people... Of Israel had experienced the promises of God. They had been told of a, re- of a wonderful inheritance that they would have of a promised land. But their hearts were far from God. They sinned against him. They lost an inheritance because they became a people that though by promise belonged to him, though in heart had been far from him. They were cast out of the land of promise, exiled and persecuted to the point where only a remnant remained. Only a remnant would remain. These were a people that understood the perishability of an inheritance or that their own sins or their acts or their minds or their hearts could defile these things or that the glories, even like the glories of the great temple in the city of Jerusalem, could fade and be brought low to nothing but a stack of stones scattered about with a foundation left. And he is saying to us, If you're a child of God, through faith in Jesus, your inheritance is secure. You'll not be cast off. There is eternal hope and real hope, undefiled, unfading, and perishable. This is the assurance that every Christian should simply hear. We belong to God through Christ, and if we do, we always will. But he tells us one more thing regarding this inheritance 
that it is kept in heaven for you. What is this language? Well, it is saying that it is beyond the hands of men. It can't be taken. It can't be stolen. It can't be squandered. But it is held for a day for which it will be given. What's the testimony here again? It's this for the Christian. Jesus was resurrected and you are secure in him. And you're secure as a child of God. There's no fear in life. And friends, there should be no fear in death. We ought to have the absolute assurance that we will receive what has been promised and truly given to us in Jesus Christ. And then the third gift from verses 6 through 9, an unshakable joy. Again, remember as we came to verse 3, I mentioned that this is Peter praising God like a hymn, like a psalm being raised to the Lord. Verse 6, we return to this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Can you relate to that as a Christian? Do you have any grieving? In this life, have you suffered things? Have you lost things? Have you lost people? Have you lost health? I have. I'm sure that you have. And friends, if you're too young to know what that is yet, it's coming. It's coming. But Peter presses on. You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that a gift of the resurrection of Jesus Christ as Lord, it's not only salvation, it's not only adoption, but it is a heart gripped by love for the resurrected one. For the Jesus that though we don't see him with an eye, we still love him. That we are a people who ought to have hearts that are stirred to rejoicing even if our bodies are wasting away and we've suffered a million things. We have an untouchable, unbreakable, wonderfully assured, true, sturdy, strong, reliable joy that no one can take from us. You see, that's one of the great and wonderful wonderful gifts that Christians enjoy. That no matter what happens, if he has been raised, what can they do to me? What suffering can I endure that could ever take away from me the joy of knowing that he lives and so shall I? The gifts of the resurrection. Christians, if you know him, rejoice in the things that he freely gives. And friends, if you don't know him, and this morning this is all new, and you say to yourself, I would really like those things, he's freely offered to you by faith. Children, if you're hearing me this morning and you've heard the sermons and you've heard the word preached and you hear all of these things, you say, that's wonderful. I want that security. I want to be able to call God my father. This morning is when you can do it. Put your faith on him. 
It's so simple. Believe that he is your Lord and live after him and trust in him for salvation. It's so simple. This morning, if you're a skeptic and you've come and you say, you know, this all sounds wonderful, but I don't know. Pray to him that he would give you faith. He is the one that begins the salvation of the heart of all men. He's the one that accomplished it on the cross, and he is the Savior that saves. He could save you. Would you ask him to? Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the scriptures and the teaching. O Lord, for the truth of the resurrected Christ. O Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to love him and to rejoice in every season. O Lord, not being overwhelmed and not grieving as those who have no hope. O Father in heaven, we ask that you would build us up in him. O Lord, that we would love the resurrected Christ, the risen and ascended Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.